Hi, New Vintage. I can't wait for next week. Let me tell you what's going on. You've been around and seen us do our 90 Days Through the Bible campaigns. Well, we've got a new one that we're going to start. This one's going to be called 40 Days Through the New Testament. Here's what it is. We're going to, for 40 days, we're going to get our Bibles open and we're going to read from the very beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, all the way through the book of Revelation in 40 days. And during that time, I'll be preaching sermons uh, that go along with the readings from those particular, uh, for that particular week. So I want you to get a Bible. Uh, it could be the YouVersion Bible app. We're going to have a, a reading plan on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, it could be a good old-fashioned leather-bound Bible or a a little miniature Bible or whatever it is that's going to get you into the Word of God, get that ready because we are going to get into God's Word together as we count down to entering the Ritz Theater. So I hope you'll look forward to that. We start next week. Today, I want us to talk about the last discipline that we're going to be covering here in the Sacred Series, Silence and Solitude. Now, last week, Marcus Preciado did a great job of walking us through the discipline of fellowship and community. Picture this as the other side of that coin. Now, silence and solitude are, they go together very well. It's not one thing, but they're, they're a pair. So just like you got a coin with heads and tails on it, that's fellowship and community. And on the other side, you've got solitude and silence. Uh, that's, a, that's on one side of the coin, you have silence and solitude, okay? They go together. Now, I want to emphasize something right at the outset. Uh, it's something that is very much a state of heart, a state of mind. It's not a place to be in solitude. It's something that goes on deep inside of us. Richard Foster once said, and he described it this way, he said, whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. So again, that's kind of what we're going for here. It goes on inside of us. Now that certainly can be coupled with times away, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're always by ourselves. that we can have solitude. And I'll even suggest to us today, silence all inside of us. Now, there's a solitude of the heart that can be sustained at all times. It's also possible, for instance, to be a desert hermit and to actually not experience solitude because, again, solitude is something that goes on inside the heart. So when we have it, when we have solitude, we don't fear being alone because we're never actually alone. And it's something that we then learn by God pouring His Spirit into us and by experiencing communion with God that we get uniquely in silence and solitude, that we are now able to be fully present with people. Loneliness, on the one hand, is what you might call inner emptiness, and that's why we're so terrified of it and why it takes such a toll on us when we feel lonely. But solitude is not emptiness, it's actually inner fulfillment. Now, solitude was actually a big part of Jesus' life and ministry. He lived in this kind of inward state of heart that we call solitude. He frequently experienced what you might call outward solitude. So that's where he goes away by himself to be by himself. So here's just a few examples. When he inaugurated his ministry, you may remember in Matthew chapter 4, he goes away and he spends 40 days alone in the desert. Before he chooses the 12 disciples, he spends the entire night alone in the desert hills. It says in Luke chapter 6 in Matthew 14, when he hears of the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, he withdraws from there into a boat into a lonely and deserted place. Uh, after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, it says, goes up into the hills by himself. With three disciples, he seeks out a lonely mountain for the mountain of transfiguration there in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to study that a little bit here today. 
But as he prepares for his highest and, and holiest work, that is, his crucifixion, and subsequently his resurrection, you may remember, he goes away and he seeks the solitude of the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, why did he do that? Why did Jesus take such effort to kind of have this rhythm where he's with the masses and with people and then he's off by himself? And especially, it seems, as he gets to the most pivotal moments of his life and his ministry. It was to keep his heart undivided. It was to prepare him to be with people by being with the Father. So it's not simply some Enneagram thing or some introvert-extrovert kind of question. It's something that comes with a healthy rhythm of communing with God in such a way that our communion with God then goes with us into our fellowship with other people. It's being fully present with God so that we can be fully present with others. We are created for both, for solitude, and we're created to be together in community. God wants both for us. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer covered this in his magnificent book called Life Together. He titled one of his chapters, The Day Together, and the next one was called The Day Alone. And in that book, uh, he talks about different uh, ways that each of those is important in making us a whole disciple, a whole person of God that's fully able to be with God and fully able to be with one another. Uh, he writes this. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Now again, solitude isn't something that requires physical external solitude. It's something that we develop here internally, and it's something you can take with you even when you're around large groups of people. Uh, a mom can develop an inner solitude that allows her to be fully present with her children and fully present with God at the same time. And even in a crowded place and even in the chaos of a home, she or the father can either one. They can be there fully present with their kids and still be very much at peace and at rest in God. That little sanctuary of worship that lies within our hearts, as Richard Foster talked about earlier, still is very much with us wherever we go. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture here. This is my bench, okay? This is Tim's magical bench. Now, you don't know where this is, and, I, and no offense, but I hope you never find out where it is. Uh, this is my bench, and it's in an undisclosed location here in Escondido. I discovered it one time when I was out hiking. So I've never seen anybody actually sitting on the bench. I've had people walk by when I've been sitting on the bench, but um, there are a few of these in the same kind of spot, but this is one that's just a little bit further off the beaten path. And when I really am facing something that I really want to get clear with God on, I will often find my way to this bench, and I will seek the heart of God. I'll sit on the bench. As you can see, there's a ton of scenery, and I can sit and I can dwell on Scripture. I can take a look at the mountains. I can look at the sky. I can sit, and it's completely silent. There are basically no people there, very, very rarely. I think in 10 or 12 years, I've seen three people. I think um, there are very few animals. There are very few anything. Occasionally, there'll be an airplane that very distantly flies overhead. But the reason I go there is because I'm by myself, and I'm with the Lord. 
Now, I'm going to give you another place that at the same time, I experience the same thing. And that's with the church. Now, that may seem really strange to you. But when I want to experience the power and presence of God in a very special way, and when I want to have a lot of ways where I can reflect on who God is, it's often in the presence of people. So this is kind of what God is trying to get through to us with this particular spiritual discipline, right? There, you can have inward solitude when I'm with the church and the bench comes with me wherever I go, or I can be here on the bench and be completely alone with God. And so there's this rhythm as I, as a pastor, am with the church or I'm with my friends or I'm with my family. I've got three daughters and a wife and uh, a very busy life along with it. If I'm not doing something to if you will, bring the bench wherever I go, then all of a sudden my life becomes a cacophony of stuff, uh, of, of constant kind of ambient noise, which is why when solitude is mentioned, it's always dovetailed with silence. Okay? Without silence, there is no solitude. Now, while silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, like solitude, we often think solitude necessitates us being by ourselves, and silence means that uh, there is no noise going on around us at any point in time. But silence doesn't always mean that we are not uh, talking or nobody's talking, but it always involves listening. It is very hard to listen when I'm talking. So when I'm going into this uh, discipline of silence alongside solitude, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm taking the posture of a listener. Solitude is important because in it, we're not talking. <laughs> we are listening. We're learning to live without the protection of words, uh, without the image that I project through words. So it also quiets the noise so I can hear the voice of the Lord. And it doesn't mean that others need to be quiet. It means that I need to be quiet. It means that I need to find a quietness of spirit. That, if you will, bringing of the bench into my heart wherever I am. We took a road trip last week. That's why I wasn't with you here uh, online. But I want you to know a road trip, a long, sweaty road trip with your family in a car that lasts a long time will fray and test even the most loving of families. So we were in here, and one of the little joys of taking a road trip with me, if you ever do, is that I have one of these senses of hearing that picks up on everything. So if I'm driving and I hear the uh, music bleeding out of the earbuds of the kid in the third row back there, it bothers me. It's hard for me to tune it out. If I hear something rattling, if the glove compartment has a CD or something in it and it's rattling a little bit, uh, it's hard for me to, to focus or just tune it out. Now, Emily, my wife, is long-suffering and patient and all that stuff, and uh, just says, oh, don't let it bother you, but just tune it out. Well, I, I can't. I can't tune it out. And so no matter where we are, if we're watching a, a, a movie at our house and I hear the neighbor's sprinklers go on, I hear the neighbor's sprinklers going on while the movie's playing, no matter how loud it's playing, if I can hear it at all biologically, it's very hard for me to filter it out. We never figured out what, why that was. Was I just impatient or weird? Uh, we knew I was weird, but was, am I weird because I, I can't just tune things out? Well, we did some digging and we realized that there's actually a name for this. 
this inability to filter out noise. Now, right now, you're making a decision that you're going to listen to what I'm saying on your screen. There are all sorts of sounds, small, loud, going on around you. Uh, your kids are breathing. Your brain is not paying attention to that. It's paying attention to what I'm saying right now. You might hear your neighbor mowing his lawn in the distance, but your brain is making a decision not to listen to that, but to listen to me. Okay, that's called sensory gating. That's that phenomenon where your brain is simply making a decision. I'm going to listen to this and I'm not going to listen to that. So if you've ever been at a, at a cocktail party, you've ever been at a ball game or in an environment where things are very loud and you're trying to talk to your friend, the reason you can communicate at all is because your brain says, don't listen to all that, listen to this. That's called sensory. I'm guessing gating comes from like some sort of gate, like you're protecting certain types of things. Well, what I found was that I have what's called leaky sensory gating. Now, what that means is that while you can make the decision to just filter certain sounds out, my brain's a little slower at doing that. That's no big surprise, I'm sure. But what it means is that I hear everything that's going on in the room. It's hard. I have a harder time getting my brain to focus on just what I'm doing at that particular moment right now. So, for instance, right now, I can hear little noises going on all around me, and I'm making a decision to pretend that they don't exist. When you're in church, and you're tweaking your child's leg, and I hear, and they squeal, yes, I hear it. Right now, you're sipping your coffee. I can hear you. I hear everything, okay? I have a very hard time filtering that stuff out. I wanna use that as a metaphor for the problem that silence and solitude helps alleviate in the spiritual realm. Most of us have lives that are so full, they're so chaotic, that it makes it very, very hard. We develop it as a state of spirit to hear the voice of the Lord clearly when everything else is bombarding it. And it's not just a matter of simply deciding, oh, I'm gonna to try to listen to God above everybody else. Sometimes you develop a certain state of heart that is such, it's like a leaky sensory gating almost of the spirit. You just can't do it because we have so little solitude and so little silence in our life and we've so poorly cultivated that particular discipline in our lives that if God did show up, we would have a hard time hearing him. If he walked up, stood right in our face and started talking to us because essentially the cocktail party going on around us is just too loud. Silence and solitude helps us develop the discipline of being able to simply hear the voice of the Lord. The Mount of Transfiguration, Peter is there. Now we're gonna talk about it in two different ways. We're gonna do silence and we're gonna do solitude, okay? Um, Matthew chapter 17, Peter, Jesus brings Peter to this beautiful vision and there you've got Moses, you've got Elijah, and you've got Jesus and they're having a conversation. And Peter's idea at the time is to say, hey, this is beautiful, this is amazing. Can we build three, some translations call them shelters, some say tabernacles, some say altars. Um, can we build three edifices, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus? And there the voice of the Lord breaks through and it says, this is my beloved son whom I love, listen to him. What's God saying? He's saying, I know there's a lot of other noise out there. It's even worthwhile noise. Listen to him. Listen to him. Even Moses and Elijah, as wonderful and amazing as they are, amongst that, listen to him. It's the most important thing that you can do. 
listen to him. In the book of Habakkuk, it's uh, in chapter 2, the prophet Habakkuk is really railing against the people because they fashioned for themselves idols. And they like to say to those idols, you know, hey, say something to us. Hey, speak to us. And Habakkuk is looking at them going, why are you expecting things that you've made with your own hands to say something to you? And then he says this. This is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Now, a couple things to note, right? One is that in the context, they're, they've got idols and they've got gods that they're trying to get to say something to them. And the way that they're trying to do it is by talking. What Habakkuk is saying is you have a God who's actually trying to say something, so be quiet. And so that discipline of sitting before the Lord, learning to be quiet, learning to control the noise around us, and developing a heart that has solitude within it, where the bench is brought to bear inside the heart wherever we are, will allow us to filter the right noise, to make the decision of what we're going to listen to and who we're going to listen to. Now, again, the disciplined person is somebody who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. There is a time to say things. There is a time to talk. There's a time to be with people. There's a time to do all of those things. You know, the mark of a championship basketball team, for instance, is that a team can score points when they need to. Now, if you give me a basketball, I can probably make a hoop for you. You give me two, three shots, I'll put the ball in the hoop. But it's being able to make a basket when you need a basket at the right time. That's what separates a professional from me. <laughs> Likewise, a person who's under the discipline of silence is a person who can say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. A word fitly spoken, Proverbs says, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. If we're silent when we should speak, we're not living out the discipline of silence. Uh, if we speak when we should be silent, again, we miss the mark. It's what Ecclesiastes calls the sacrifice of fools. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we read this, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Well, what's that? It's humanly initiated religious talk, just religious blabbing, if you will. So he goes on and he says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are upon the earth. So let your words be few. Now again, let's go back to the Mount of Transfiguration. There you have Peter. Okay. You have Moses, you have Elijah, you have Jesus. And it says in the text that they're talking to each other. And then in Matthew 17, verse 4, in typical Peter fashion, it says, and Peter answering said, and that's when he goes on saying we ought to have a, a tabernacle or an edifice for all three of them. When it says he answered, it's important to note something very important. No one was talking to him. They are having a conversation amongst themselves. Jesus, Moses, Elijah. What he should have been doing was listening. Instead, he wants to do something, right? So there's a time, again, for us to listen. 
there's a time for us to speak. There's a time for us to act. And what the discipline of silence and solitude do for us is they create that rhythm of listening to God so that we know when to act, when to speak, how to speak, when to speak. It fills us with God so that wherever we go, if we are with people, we are fully with people, and God in us is fully with people. But instead of just simply answering like Peter does wherever it is that we go or committing, uh, offering God what you might call the sacrifice of fools to go back to Ecclesiastes 5, what we're going to do is we're going to sit and we're going to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be by myself. I'm going to make myself vulnerable before God. And I'm not going to fill the air with a lot of idle chatter. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. Let's take a look at some steps for how we can cultivate solitude and silence in our lives. First of all, enjoy the little solitudes. We all have them. I know that may sound really crazy, and I, I remember particularly certain phases of our lives when we had little kids, for instance, and you're always just trying to keep them from hurting somebody else, hurting themselves or breaking something or breaking their sibling. Uh, you, you feel like, gosh, just using the restroom is a major Sabbath, okay? Those are, don't, don't laugh at it. It's, those are very special little moments. Now, enjoying little solitudes means stuff like, you know, in the morning before anybody else is awake, you might have a moment of quiet in your house instead of opening your phone and reading the news, instead of turning on the television or even playing your music, you just enjoy the quiet. Get a cup of coffee. Go sit in the backyard. And it may only be five minutes, maybe seven minutes or something like that. But it can set the course for your day and just simply sit there in the presence of the Lord. Here's a thought. Before, instead of doing meal prayers, we do them at our house before every meal. Uh, think about praying silently, giving people a few moments of silence before the, the meal, as opposed to saying something out loud. I know this is going to sound crazy. Your commute. I know some people in our church body, the commute is actually one of their most devotional times of the day. They have a big, long commute, and they've learned that it's far better to find ways to reflect on the Lord, and maybe even uh, when the time's right, turn on a podcast or something like that, but to spend some time in silence as well, just simply existing with the Lord. So don't ignore those little solitudes. Secondly, find or develop a quiet place. So uh, this can be a garden. It can be a park. It can be a room in your house. It can be a church sanctuary that's open and unlocked at some point. But finding that quiet place that you can go. For me, it's that bench uh, that I mentioned. I showed you a picture of earlier. So if there's a, a place that you know that you can go to be quiet, I would. if there's a bench in your backyard, if there's a, a little place, a little moment, something that you can point to and you know that when I go there, it's easy for me to get quiet with God. Maybe it's every time I mow my lawn, for instance, I'm going to go out back and I'm going to hold, I'm going to pull a flower off one of the bushes and I'm just going to stare at it and, and notice it and be quiet and thank God for its beauty. Those kinds of things can really make a big difference. Uh, number three, experiment. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, try this on. How about a day with no words at all? An entire day. Now, before your spouse says amen too loudly, Let's all just get down to it and say that that would be a real struggle for us. And in fact, the only way I've ever been able to pull it off is to actually go to a different part of the world where nobody knows me and be, I'm by myself in a place with nobody else around. I'm not ordering food. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm completely, utterly silent. 
uh, try it on, try it out, try a few hours if a day seems like it's, it's too much. Um, but try some of these different places, whether it's silence or whether it's absolute solitude. I'm going to be by myself. Usually I go do this with somebody. Now I'm going to do this by myself. Again, it's not about loneliness or trying to cultivate loneliness. It's about understanding uh, that I can get unusually close to God when I'm not using words to protect me and I'm not dependent on people to commune with God. So it provides extra spiritual intimacy. And then lastly, plan to withdraw. Uh, you're going to have moments throughout your year when you probably can, if you, with a little bit of effort. I know it feels like you can't, but you probably could. Make those plans to withdraw. So Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, for instance, recommends it four times a year, that you try to take three or four hours and you pull away to reorient your life goals. But he's very clear about this. He says, you know, goals are discovered, they're not made. So you don't go away to make them. You go away for those three or four hours to allow the goals to come to you. You allow God to kind of bring them to the surface in silence and solitude. And as they do, you go ahead and you might be surprised what comes up when you don't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to crank out some goals. But you sit there before God and you see what he brings to you as you sit there in silence and in solitude. Um, once a year, it'd be good to take a retreat for the purpose of silence and solitude. This has been a practice of mine uh, for many, many years. And to try to get away and spend some concerted time just not talking and not feeling like you gotta be around people. Now keep in mind, uh, when I say this to you, I'm a wild extrovert, I wait, like 96 or something out of 100 on the Myers-Briggs on the extrovert side. I love being with people, but that's why I need to go do this as much as anybody. I need to spend time in, in quiet and sol silence and solitude before the Lord so that when I'm with people all the time, that I can bring the Lord with me as I go. And I, they're, they're encountering somebody whose spirit is quiet and is uh, reverent and has spent time with the Lord. It's being fully with God so you can be fully with people. Now, like Jesus, we often must need, we must go away and be present fully with God in order to be fully present with people. One of the weirdest things that I do now, despite leaky gate syndrome and all those other things, is in order for me to sleep, I use a noise machine. Now think about that. I play noise so that I can be quiet. I mean, <laughs> the first time I ever heard one, I thought it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's like, no, I, it has to be totally quiet for me to be able to go to sleep. And then I realized, actually, you know what? I get peaceful with, in the midst of the noise, it's actually quite easy to be peaceful under the right circumstances, right? You're never gonna be able to live in a world with no noise. But what silence and solitude do is they allow you to, from a spiritual standpoint, be at rest in the middle of the noise because you're able to focus and to be quiet and have solitude even as the noise is going on around you. We live in a noisy world. We live in a world with people that spend very little time alone, don't want to spend any time alone, and we live in a world where uh, the pace, especially prior to COVID-19, uh, was, was absolutely frenetic. We live in a world that is full of anxiety. We live in a world that is full of anger and fear. And maybe, 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 there is something to this whole silence and solitude thing. That when the psalmist says, 
be still and know that I am God. When the Lord speaks to us, be still and know that I am God, that the, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. That we could use a little bit more solitude and a little bit more silence. Or a lot. And I think if we did, we would be surprised at the wonders that God might work in our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So now, as we gather on the Lord's table together, we call it communion. We do it every week at New Vintage Church. And it's a time where we ask people, wherever they are, to spend some time in prayer and take the bread and the cup, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. And I want you to go, instead of today, using a lot of words, or even me using words today, to spend a moment in silence. Uh, and before the Lord, taking what we've heard today and reflecting on it. So right now, I'd ask that you go ahead and wherever you're at, we're going to take two minutes of silence before God. And when it's done, I'll offer a word of prayer. Father, now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, we want to ask, Father, that in this silent moment, wherever we are, whether we're gathered with people or it's just us and you, Father, that the quiet that we experience, the rest we experience in your presence would be felt and that, Father, we would embrace the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture, Father, when it said that you are in your holy temple. May all the earth keep silent before you right now, Father. We honor you. We worship you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.